stay on top of trends. Today's leaders always need to be learning. In this environment of limited resources, the only way to remain competitive is your ability to leverage your most important resource. Welcome to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. In this program, we'll dive into leadership fundamentals that are essential to your success. Now, here's your host, Tom Crea. Good Monday morning. You're listening to Your Evolving Leadership with your host, Tom Crea. Last week, we had the privilege of speaking with Bill Protzman about cultivating the human spirit in your organization. And as you probably know from listening, is I'm a retired Army officer, and this is a special day today, excuse me, special day today, Veterans Day, because we have the privilege of speaking with Chris Kamazarjewski about the power of reputation. And like you, this my journey continues, so I invite guests who can share and uh, deepen our insight into a number of topics like reputation. So you'll find everything you want about the show or need at yourevolvingleadershipjourney.com, and you can look at past shows, you can look at what's coming next, um, and catch up on anything that you might have missed. If you have any questions during today's call, our call-in number is 866 472 57 Again, that call-in number is 866-472-5790. All right, so let's meet Chris, and then I'm going to turn the mic over to him. Chris is a consultant, author, and accomplished public relations professional and accounting firm executive with worldwide leadership and client consulting experience. Over a 40-year career in public relations, he has been responsible for counseling global corporate clients in a wide range of industries, including financial, entertainment, communications, healthcare, the environment, and management consulting. He's a recognized authority in corporate reputation and has provided consulting services to leading global public and private companies and public relations firms, handling crises, financial transactions, and reputation issues. He is a decorated combat veteran as a U.S. Army captain, helicopter pilot, and senior aviator, Chris served as a instructor, as an instructor pilot and flight commander in Vietnam with the First Cavalry Region, excuse me, Division. Maybe it's because it's today is Veterans Day. I'm stumbling over my words. I apologize for that. But hey, I want to take a moment to say thank you, Chris, and um, welcome. So welcome aboard. Thank you, Tom. It's very nice of you to have me join your show. I appreciate it a lot. And as a matter of fact, thank you for your service. And I think this on Veterans Day is one of the most important days because it causes people and it urges people to reflect on the importance of veterans, those people in the service who provide service to our country in a variety of different ways. And it's an interesting moment because today you find a lot of compassion and understanding for, for veterans, and that's really appropriate. But on other days, it's not always that case. And there needs to be some, some sense of deep understanding of the sacrifices that veterans make. And if today is one day to encourage people to think about that, this is terrific. So for all the veterans who are listening in, and again for you, Tom, thank you very much for your service. Well, thank you for saying that, Chris, and, and thank you. Um, just to let, I'm going to rewind quickly here because you caused me to take go back to my ROTC days where I was on the campus at the University of Dayton in the late 1970s. And it was after when you were – you indirectly referred to um, we're in a time where people treat uh, veterans a lot better than you experienced. So you were a combat veteran. I was not. So thank you for your service and all that you did. And I'm sorry that uh, I'm sure you experienced some of those negative things um, in the late 60s and 70s. Um, and 
you know, I did not have to experience much of it. So I, I, I imagine that um, your all your experiences, and we talked a little bit briefly for our listeners prior to this call about the power of reputation. And so, Chris, let's get right into it. Why did you write this book on reputation? Why is it so important? You know, I've been there's been I'd had plenty of experiences in working with individuals, working with clients, and trying to understand. At the end of the day, when you look at business or you look at individual careers, what really drives the individual to have the opportunities that come their way? What is it about them that ultimately makes them successful? And when you put all the pieces together, it's their reputation. It's the way that people understand them, the way that they live their lives, the way that they live their words, the way that they put together what they do with what they talk about and ultimately what they accomplish. And at the end of the day, from my perspective, the reputation makes the world go round. It makes for success. It makes for failures. It makes for short-lived, short-lived success, ultimately, with a failure at the end of the day. But here we have nothing is more important, in my view, than reputation whether it's corporate, whether it's an organization, whether it's individual, it really is the driving factor behind success. All right. Well, thank you for that. And the fact that you were in public relations, I'm sure you have some very keen insights, which hopefully we can get into. But one of the things I want to share with the listeners is regarding your book. Here's what one of the things that impressed me, and we're not going to be able to have the time to get into it, but that book is like an action plan. Chris has a number of instructive real-world examples. He gives you step-by-step how-tos and practical techniques. Um, And one of the key points there is he says reputation isn't something that just happens, nor is it something you can afford to leave the chance. So I'm going to ask you another question here. And so when we talk about reputation, challenges for some people – for some people to explain what, what reputation is. So can you tell us what it is, and we'll go from there. Now, you know, that's a great question, because one of the challenges I had when I was writing the book, and I talked to people who, were, who I was very close with and who had accomplished an awful lot in their lives, and when I first asked them the question about reputation and whether or not they thought it was important and how they would describe it, some of those people, although very accomplished, couldn't really look back and say, okay, what is it that I did that ultimately created a reputation for me against which then I could plot my own career? And from my perspective, what comes through with all of these people, when you put the pieces together and when they come to think through what it was that made a difference, it comes down to three factors. It comes down to character, it comes down to communication, and it comes down to trust. So if we take those three pieces apart from my perspective and the research that I've done, character is ultimately the basis, your values, why you make certain decisions, and how you're able to make sure that they live and work with the way you feel about things and what ultimately your values are. When you think about communications, you cannot be a leader. You cannot create a team and push a team in a certain direction or lead a team in a certain direction without communications. They need to know that you can explain very clearly what it is that why something has to be done or why it's, what's so important about it. And they need to understand that when you communicate, you are demonstrating a great respect for them. You're sharing enough information so that they can make decisions on their own And they can buy into the values and the culture that ultimately you think is important for success. And trust. Ultimately, it's trust. 
So you need to be able to create an environment by being respectful for individuals, by being straightforward in communications, by demonstrating that the character ultimately of how you make decisions is paramount. And that kind of sense of trust is what leads people, whether it's in the military or whether it's in civilian life, to say, okay, I'm going to go with you, I believe in you, and we can do this together. So those three factors from my studies, character, communication, and trust, really are the key issues that underlie a reputation. In my view, reputation without uh, or success without reputation that you can fall back on, which guards you in terms that are times that are difficult, uh, does not uh, lead to success. Reputation is a critical factor in success, personal and professional. All right, great. Well, that's a great intro to where we're going to go. And, and speaking of intro in your book, uh, early on, you talk about reputation is your most important asset. And I'd like you to comment on any one of these three things that I'm going to bring up or all, however you'd like. Reputation is your most important asset. Why? And then you say, what is your personal bottom line? And then you say, ultimately, reputation is about behavior. Go ahead. Please comment. Yeah, I think that uh, when people make judgments about you as an individual, and whether, again, this is in business or the military, they follow and want to move along with an individual which they believe in. And reputation, in other words, past experience in what you have done, how you have carried it out, how you have empowered team members, how you have shared credit, all are factors in their ability to say, okay, yes, this is an individual that I want to be with and I want to follow. And it's your asset. It's an underlying asset for today's work, and it's a very important asset for tomorrow's work. And in, in many ways, the way you, if you have a challenge that you have to meet and you are having a tough time struggling with it, the way that you ultimately get through it is that you have past experiences that people believe and people have followed you in the past and they're willing to do it and do it in the future. It's almost a, it's a reputation is an asset. It's something that carries forward with you. And we are all going to face difficult times. We're all going to do something or we're getting, find ourselves in a situation is more stressing than others. And how we've handled these in the past, it's an asset as we go forward because it gives others an indication of what they can expect for you, expect from you rather, and how that they know things under your direction will ultimately turn out. So it's an asset for difficult times. It's an asset for good times. Clearly, reputation is an asset, personal and professional. Great. You know, when you say asset, the, that was a word that popped out on me, popped out to me several times in your book. And there's a great quote towards the end, which I couldn't quickly find in my notes, but we're going to get to that about you know, what reputation will do for you. So let's get into your first part, character. When you uh, introduce that section on character, you open with a quote from Abraham Lincoln. And it says, character is like a tree, reputation like a shadow. The shadow is what we think of it. The tree is the real thing. So any comments on that? Or do you think reputation has any more or less significance than it might have done in in the past? Oh, I think that uh, character is very, very important. And I think that it gains more so as time goes on because all of us and the culture that we live in today and the discussions that take place today are always asking questions. So they want to really understand not only what you do and not only how you do it, but the most critical question is why you do it. 
And whenever we think about a task that we have at hand, the ultimate driver of success is why we're going to do this and whether or not we feel strongly about it. And in today's culture, everybody is asking the question. They're asking the how, and they're asking the, you know, what you're doing and how you're going to get there. But they're also trying to probe why. Why do you think this is important? In other words, if you think it's important and you can share it with me, then maybe I'll follow and maybe I'll be part of the team. But I need to understand why. I need to understand the fundamentals of what's going on and why decisions are being made like they're being made. Great. Now, one of the things you just said is um, that why, what do you, what's your intent? Um, the majority of our listeners are, are, that I've attracted, I would say, are people who believe in servant leadership, that you want to be, you want to serve the people that you are leading, if you will. And um, when I was in the military, we, again, we were talking, Chris and I, prior to the show, uh, we had this thing, a concept called the commander's intent. It was really, really important that if I can just tell you why we're going to do whatever that mission was and gave you the basics of the plan, as long as you understood the spirit of that decision and the why, um, you were going to be able to run with it. And my goal would be for if I were to perish on the battlefield is for you to take up the plan and continue. So you caused me to think of that. And if you want to uh, expand upon that, please do. If not, we're going to move into from chapter one into chapter two. I think that I, I think you're 100 percent right. And I think that as, as time goes on and different, you know, as, as people get older and as, as you have a much more sophisticated population, people want to know why. They don't, know, we're not willing to buy into something that they don't understand. So we're really coming full circle to these three uh, components of reputation, character, communication, and trust. So the, the, the whole idea that you can explain why, that you're the kind of individual who understands it deeply enough that you've evaluated different aspects of whatever decision is, whether it's business, whether it's military, whether it's personal, that you have un, sort of weighed the pros and cons and made a decision and you can explain it. There are a lot of people who will want to make a decision, could be gut, could be otherwise, and they really can't explain it. And those people have much more difficult time creating the allegiance and the support that they need. So the character, this ability to understand and act on values that other people can understand becomes extraordinarily important. But so does the communication. If you can't explain it thoroughly, usually what people will say is that if you can't explain something, you don't understand it. So one of the difficult, one of the most difficult professions that are there are people who are teachers because they have to explain exactly what it is that they are trying to teach. They have to know it better than anybody else. And as time goes on, if you think about teachers, teachers, the old adage is that the teacher learns more than the students. Why? Because they have to understand the why. That is so difficult for a lot of people, and it's one of the most critical elements as far as leadership is concerned, as far as building a reputation, excuse me, is concerned. No, I certainly agree with that. All right. Well, thanks for that. Now, in Chapter 2, you, you, the title of this chapter is called Experiences That Shape Character, and you were referring to an example of an individual who got their MBA from the University of Chicago. They go into this factory. The manager welcomes him. And he was asked if he wanted to hang up his jacket. <laughs> and uh, then on page uh, 23, you say, this individual shares that if I was to be respected, there couldn't be any job I wouldn't do 
if it needed to get done. And I'm referring to the story where he had to sweep the floor on his first day. So uh, what do you think about, go ahead and expand on how experiences uh, shape character. When you, when you think about why other people say, yes, your decisions are the right decisions, they usually base it on the idea that you've had experience and experience doing, in many cases, the most menial tasks that are required of any particular job gives you that kind of experience. So if you think about the military, which you and I have been part of for a portion of our lives, you think about the military, you started with the most menial task. You start with peeling potatoes, working, doing KP, whatever it happens to be done. And ultimately, you know, as time goes on, that you've done these kinds of jobs. You understand what is the responsibility of every individual. The person in the book that I'm talking about is a guy named Steve Jenk, University of Chicago, degree, all the rest of that kind of stuff. And the boss that he went to work for the first time said, okay, let's start by doing some of the menial tasks. He didn't tell him that, but that's what he asked him to do. And he was looking to see what kind of an individual this new employee was and whether or not that individual could understand the value in doing menial tasks, accept them as part of the overall team effort to, to accomplish results and see what happened. And obviously, Steve didn't argue with that. He took his jacket off, hung it up, swept the floor, did what was asked of him, and he won great points in that because he was saying, listen, I know I know certain things. I've had a good education, and I, but I'm not above, and I do understand how important every single aspect of the job is, whether it's the lowest or whether or not it's the highest. There's another example in the, uh, in the book which talks about a woman who was a development officer for a university. And she said, you know, I speak to the janitor, I speak to the groundskeepers, I speak to the maintenance people, and I speak to them in the same way that I speak to anybody else, even if that person is giving a million dollars to the university. And I do it, first of all, out of respect. And second of all, you know, you never know. Some of these people who have very, very simple jobs are individuals who have strong loyalties, and they, too, may be able to make a large contribution. So there's a practical side, and there's a human side. Great. Yeah, thank you for that. Now, um, yeah, absolutely. We have to... If they see, if your people see you are willing to handle any task, it just makes a huge difference, and I absolutely remember that from my experience, too. Now, in this chapter, you also... You talk about the difference between mentors and champions. you want to take us through that, please? Yeah, I make a distinction between mentors and champions. I think that there are a lot of people who just use the word mentor. But I think there are two different tasks. If you're a young person beginning a job, you really need to look for someone who could be your mentor and someone who could be your champion. So I define mentors and champions this way. I believe that a mentor is somebody who's going to help you do your job better who's going to help you improve, who's going to give you the tricks of the trade, who are going to show you the whys and the whys not so that ultimately you can do your job in a very professional manner. In in other words, they focus on techniques. They focus on skills. And in many ways, I define skills in different ways. I think there are work skills. In other words, how well do you do your job? I think that there are life skills. In other words, do you show up on time and do the job that you've got to do? And I think there are what I call hunger skills. And those are skills that say, oh, listen, I've got a family. I have to feed my kids. I'm going to do the best job that anybody could ask for. But that's one side of the coin. 
The mentors focus on developing skills, and every individual needs that virtually at whatever job they've got and whatever stage they've got. But on the other hand, you need a champion. You need somebody inside an organization who's going to say, you know, this person is talented. This person has potential. This person has a direction and can be a major factor in the success of the organization. So I'm going to look for other jobs, promotions, new opportunities, which A, advance the skills, and B, advance their career. So I find that I I make a very strong distinction between those people who are mentors and those people who are champions. Rarely can you find it in the same person. And I think anybody who's embarked upon a career at any level needs to think about them as two different skills that they want to tap into with other people to help them in their careers and move forward in that way. Maybe they'll find it in one person, but usually that's not the case. So I, I think uh, finding a champion is important for any, any uh, aspiring individual leader, whether or not you're a leader or not. And uh, you caused me to think back onto my career where I had someone who was both a mentor and a champion. And, um, and I'm going to share with you uh, what I believe caused him to take an interest in me, and then I would like you to comment on that. Um, the first and foremost, as you point out in your book, is to do a good job. And uh, you also distinguish in the book about how somebody, you can tell how somebody, uh, whether they're in customer service or whatever the case might be, where you pick up the phone, you can talk them, and you talk to them, you can immediately tell whether or not they're in it for the position or, or their heart is in the job, their attitude. And, and because I was fully engaged, if you will, when I joined the Army, Army I had a, uh, my first battalion commander was definitely that way. And he not only was a mentor, he was a champion. But if you want to talk about any of those things, I'd love to hear what your comments are. Yeah, I think there are those people who are, uh, you know, they will sense something in you and they will say, okay, this is clearly someone who uh, we, we want to be, who I want to be part of the organization. And you want, obviously, to be part of the organization and you want to be successful. And I think that comes pretty quickly. Uh, but I think that you need to have people who are willing to jump in and do that with you, for you, however you want to phrase it. Uh, and ultimately, if you think about it from a, from a very practical perspective, ultimately these are individuals who view your success as part of the success of the organization as a whole. Because if they can encourage you to do very well, ultimately they're going to be successful, the organization is going to be successful, and people will be looking for more people like you. Yeah, now, you know, for our listeners, here's one of the things that I would like to just kind of encapsulate is that Chris, in this very chapter, takes you through two exercises in character. And one is what experiences have shaped the way you act and the decisions you make. And the second exercise is, you know, think about the people whom you admire. And what, what I, to paraphrase what he was saying there is if you are in an organization where your, your values are aligned with the organization, you're going to be much more effective because your, your, your heart and soul and spirit are going to be into the organization and you're going to be proved to be much more valuable and, and that's how a mentor is going to identify you and seek you out and become your champion. And uh, with that, I want to segue into his next chapter, which is about defining your values, which is extremely important because, look, if your values aren't aligned with the organization that you're in, you're just not going to be as effective. Um, but you could be doubly, triply 
quadruply more effective if you are in an organization where your values align. And in chapter three, Chris opens the chapter with a story about Vincent Van Gogh, Vincent Van Gogh, and I'll let him talk about that as he will. And he goes into this magic list of the uh, list of values that he has on page 38, and then this values test. So, Chris, let's talk to us about values and their importance. You know, values are very personal. They're also shaped by the experiences that you've had, by your family life, how you've grown up, what people have told you is the right thing to do, and that kind of thing. So, you know, it's a a very, very personal kind of experience, but the values that grow over a period of time are values that ultimately make a difference in your life and ultimately make a difference in other people's lives. And one of the most important values that people talk about is how you behave and then how you behave not only when, how you behave when people are watching you, but how you behave when, when nobody's watching you. And the old question is, if you were going to do something, would you do the same thing if there was a spotlight on you or a camera watching what you're doing, or would you handle things differently? So you often have to search inside to understand. But I think that family environment, how you grow up, what you've been led to believe, and how, you are, how they focus, as well as your educational experience, are very, very important for building values. And people understand, and they know if you are doing something because you genuinely believe it or you don't believe it. So the, val- the values ultimately make such a difference in the way that your reputa- what your reputation is because it's something that's tested over a period of time. The values that I outline in the chapter and calling about character are very wide-ranging, but they are values that each one of us at various times in our career need to sit back and say, okay, do these values translate into how I behave and what I'm doing? And if so, that's great. If not, are some of those values, should I rethink the way that I do things? I believe that careers are a process of self and re self evaluation and reevaluation. What do I think is important? Has that changed over time? And do I need to try thinking about doing things differently? Because learning is a constant experience and it's something that we should pride ourselves doing. It's just like a doctor. A doctor has to take a certain number of courses on an annual basis in order to be continue to have certification. It's continuing education, continuing medical education. I serve on three mutual funds, and we have a process in which we encourage everybody to involve themselves in self-education. Do things that ultimately are going to improve the way that you view the world and the way that you view your job. Plus, we hold education sessions. So it's an important opportunity for everybody to rethink what they do, why they do it, whether they're doing the right thing, and make corrections if that's what's necessary. All right. Well, thank you so much for that. And uh, look, he actually talked about something just then um, regarding what what leads into his next chapter on character, which is about authenticity. Um, And then the final chapter on character is about caring and respect. But I want to share with this uh, before we go to break. And uh, because he, he said something that also resonated with me in my career. What are the decisions you would make if, uh, For example, I was in a situation and and what's going through my mind is I'm young, I'm 24 years old, I believe at the time, and I'm thinking this is a tough decision and what would I do? What should I do? What would my parents think? And and it was just, you know, they weren't there. I was in Korea. And so in the way Chris talks about this and I'll let him pick this up after the break because we're going to have to go to break here in a second, but 
he says this, more important, what would I, what if I had to explain this to my son or daughter, my mother or father, or why I decided what I did? So I want to leave you with that thought. So, so far we've been talking with the power of reputation with Chris Kamazarjewski and we have spent this first half an hour doing that. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back and we're going to continue with character and move into communication and trust. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. As Tom works with leaders, something he consistently sees is their struggle with engagement and retention. Then their frustration with having to repeat the employee development process again and again. What most people don't know is the answer lies in love. Once they realize that they simply need to apply the golden rule, the results are surprising. They start bringing out the best in others. They develop confident, capable employees, and they find they have more fun and freedom and less stress in their lives. Perhaps most importantly, they satisfy what they've been craving. Now they've created the culture that they and their team have always wanted. This is when Synergy takes over, and the results are astounding. The first step is critical. When you exhibit the self-awareness and humility that shows you need to learn and improve continuously, you set the example and encourage others to follow. To learn more, visit Blackhawk Leadership Development at BlackhawkSpeaks.com. That's BlackhawkSpeaks.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you have questions or comments about the program, you may send an email to Tom at BlackhawkSpeaks.com. Now, back to your evolving leadership journey. Welcome back. We've been talking this morning with Chris Kamazarjewski about the power of reputation, and he's a firm believer that there are three key components, and that's character, communication, and trust. And so far, we've been just diving into character. Yeah, character this morning. And Chris wants to share with you some six key issues about reputation. So I'm going to turn it over to him and we'll continue. So when I look at this, and in my experience, and I, some people will call reputation a personal brand. In other words, this is the way that you're seen. This is the way that people view the way you're going to behave. And in many ways, anticipate that you're going to behave. And from my perspective, it's probably the most crucial element to success, whether it's business success or personal expense. Uh, personal ex- uh, success. And uh, as Tom said, it's based on character, communication, and trust. And if we take it down to the very personal, my experience also is that each one of us judges others 
whom we come in contact with in business or personally in the same way that we we judge people that we come in contact with in our personal lives. It's really simple. We listen to what they say, we watch how they behave, and we take note of what it is that they actually do. So I think there are six elements to that that probably rise to the forefront and are worth talking about at some point. One is define your values. Understand what's important to yourself, to yourself and to your success and be able to understand why they're important. Second of all is earn respect by respecting others. People know if you respect them. They know if you don't respect them. There is signals that everybody gives away, and you earn respect from others if you respect them and you respect their views. Third, remember that authenticity rules. Being authentic is absolutely essential. I remember an earlier uh, podcast that you did, Tom, in which that you talked about how you expect others to behave in a certain way. That comes out of the the fact that you believe that they will behave in a certain way, and especially in your experience as a military officer. Number four is listen first and talk second. Engage with others. Listen to what other people have to say. Don't demand that everybody listen to you. Be respectful and hear what they have to say. And fifth, act fast in the digital world. Today, look at this. Look at what we're doing here. On video and on, with sound, we're talking across the country. And the fact of the matter is that digital world gives us such opportunities to talk to people, to reach out to people, but it also has pitfalls. And number six, never forget that reputation is your most important job. At the end of the day, you're not going to be successful until you have a reputation that other, other people can see, feel, and follow. It's really crucial. So those are the six. Well, Chris, I'm going to ask you a lighthearted question before we continue. And since you and I are both helicopter pilots and we've both flown the UH-1 Huey, um, in your book, you have a number of checklists, which I think are great because it can guide anybody who reads your book through, how do I get from here to there? Um, does this have anything to do with flight school and everything having a checklist? Uh, I'm sure that's oh, yeah. Back, back, back uh, years ago when I, uh, when I flew, which was quite a few hours, you always had a checklist that was uh, usually sitting on your knee, or if it wasn't sitting on your knee, it was what you used to do your pre-flight in the morning. So I think there are some very, very crucial trainings that we have in life, and everyone is different. You and I were helicopter pilots. We, had, we went through flight school. We had the training just beaten down on us so that we wouldn't make any mistakes. And I think checklists are absolutely essential. We really need to have notes to ourselves to make sure that we don't miss a beat, that we don't miss something that's going to be crucial. So checklists are very, very useful. They're just part of most good training and, in fact, not only flight school kind of training, but also in business training. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I didn't think I was going to go on this tangent, but it's it's worth exploring. So let me share with you my opinion of why they're so important. So checklists are for to make sure that you don't make a mistake when you, you're all of a sudden now you got to fall, you got to get that aircraft off the ground in three minutes. Well, typically you have more time, but you still go through the checklist and you make sure you've done everything. Hey, guess what? They do this in surgeries now so that Surgeons don't leave tool utensils inside the uh, patient's body. And for me, the, the really takeaway, the, the huge takeaway point for any listener is, is if you have a checklist and, and you've di- defined it because these are your values and they're the things that are most important to you, and you're going to go through them periodically, you're going to make sure you don't miss important elements just like we 
we're sure we didn't want to miss when we were flying. So if you want to comment on that, please do. If not, we will continue. You know, it's an interesting thing. You want to have checklists. You want to use checklists. But in life also there are circumstances when you don't have the chance. Uh, if, I was, uh, if, if I had to uh, scramble for green line defense and get in the aircraft and pull pitch and get out of there, uh, there's not an awful lot of time. You have to run some things based on instinct. But here again, you have these factors that come into play that have to do with the people who are sitting next to you in the aircraft or the door gunner and the, and the crew chief in the back, whatever it happens to be. They, they've been with you before. They know what you can do, and they're going to trust you. But you can't do that too many times without referring to a checklist because you have to be brought back to make sure that over and over and over again, we remind ourselves of those things that are important, whether the checklist to uh, start up an aircraft and crank it up or whether it's checklist in terms of the way that we're behaving as business people. Yeah, those checklists are are essentially to say it yet a different way is um, you're forming positive habits that um, now become habitual, and and when you really need them in a crunch, uh, you can just rely on that motor memory, if you will. Um, here's another thing that I think a lot of people find. It, I think it's a misnomer where people feel like the in the military the environment is pretty much a autocratic and and you and I haven't been there know that it's not that way not if you're going to be successful and in chapter five your last chapter on character you talk about caring and respect and creating an environment of caring um, what are your thoughts on that that you want to share with uh, our future leaders of America or not just America we got listeners all over the world wherever you are future leaders yeah I you know the the military has this kind of reputation, so to speak, or a perception about the military that things get done because somebody yells and screams. I think they've probably seen too many film clips or too many movies about basic training. But the fact of the matter is that uh, just because you have a, at least in combat, you have a sidearm that you carry as a pilot doesn't necessarily mean that you have any more authority over anybody else. Ultimately, leaders lead. They don't tell people what to do. They show people where to go. They are the people who are view the fact that getting out of the wilderness or finding a way through a problem, you need to show people how to do it. You can't just tell people how to do it. So it is very much of a personal effort. It is very much of a uh, task that you rely on your powers of persuasion, your reputation, the way that people view you and whether or not people trust you. So ultimately, whether it's the military or otherwise, people follow because they respect and they respect because they trust you. And they trust you because you have a reputation shown time and time again that you're going to make the right decisions as much as you possibly can, although we all make mistakes, and that you're going to be explained to people why something should be done, not just tell them to go ahead and do it. It's a different world, and I think there are some misnomers about the military that continue over time, and maybe Hollywood has promulgated them or whatever it is. But nonetheless, it is really, a, it, it is more than anything else, a leadership challenge, and I think most successful people, military officers and otherwise, never will ask someone to do something that they wouldn't do themselves. And if you take Absolutely. that kind of approach on things, you'll be very successful in demonstrating to people that you know what you're doing and that they should at least give it a shot and follow. Well, look, uh, we've spent the majority of our time, almost two-thirds of our time today on character, which I'm fine with because I think that's 
Extremely important. But I do want to get into communication next and, and also spend some time on trust. So communication, you opened that section with a story about 9-11 and what happened with you and your team in New York City. And um, here's what I, I, I don't want you to tell the whole story, but uh, I want you to capture why when, when you got all these emails back from various people in the or in the company in the organization, you you describe them the group of the, these emails and their responses, the power of the human spirit, and uh, you put them all in this binder. And the reason it's kind of important to me is because my guest last week was all about the human spirit, and it's I thought it very interesting that you your quote or your categorization of this group of emails was the human spirit. So I absolutely want you to share what that meant to you, why it's in your chapter about communication and, and spend some time there. So please tell us. So we made a very concerted effort it was nine 11 and obviously in our offices, we're not too far from the world trade center. Uh, and it was a very, very challenging time, but what we wanted to do and why we think about it from the standpoint of human spirit is that we first wanted to recognize the trauma that everybody else was going through. And we wanted to create some sense of stability. And stability is often, often fostered by the fact that people know what's going on and they know the positions that you hold and what your priorities are. So during that period of time and why we were very, very aggressive communicators inside the company with clients and outside the company in other ways as well, was that we wanted to make sure that people knew that what we cared about in this time of need, in this time of tragedy, was other people. That we were not focused on the business, we were not focused solely on making sure that we had the billable hours, we focused really on whether or not people were understood what was going on and whether they knew that we were taking care of them and taking care of other people because we reached out to open up our office to other people as well and we held regular meetings where we personally provided information in person or by email in order to make sure that people knew what the priorities were. So at that particular point in time, the business was about the business, yes, but the business was about the individuals because when you have a service business, pretty much every business, and you think about why it works and why it doesn't work, ultimately it's the people. And you need to take care of the people first because they are the ones who count. And they need to know that your first priority is for them above, above, above and beyond everything else. So those communications that we had and why we highlighted is that we were most, most focused on the human spirit. And what we saw come through this was the human spirit and the way everybody rallied around each other in order to be able to make sure that people got comfort in this very, very trying time. So human spirit and that sense of energy and that sense of compassion were absolutely essential. So, Chris, at that point in your career and at that company, in everything you just shared, can you tie it back to a specific corporate value that you had? Yeah, we always put the people first. For example, I give you a concrete example. So if we had, it was a client service business, a public relations business, and we would be contacted by a host of different clients. And when we had to make a decision in many cases whether or not we wanted to represent, we were not lawyers, no disparaging comment meant here by, to lawyers, but we were not lawyers who had the view that everybody deserved a strong legal defense. That's terrific, and that's something that's very important for the legal profession. But for our perspective, we wanted to make sure that the clients that we served 
our clients that the company, the people inside the company, would view as clients that we thought we should serve and we thought was in the best interest of their individual careers, their day-to-day life, as well as the organization. So these values which center upon the individuals, and everybody's heard the phrasing that the assets go up and down the elevator every day, is true. So taking care of people, and you can phrase it a different way, you know, the most important thing in a service business is not the clients. It's the people who serve those clients, because Mm -hmm. without them, you don't have clients. So priorities actually are very, very important, but you have to live them every day, which means that you have to make decisions to take certain clients, and you have to make decisions to not take certain clients. Decline gracefully, but move on to something else. And if that's the value, if the value ultimately is people and the way that they think and the loyalty that you want from them and and the respect that you give them, those are the tough decisions that have to be made. Great. That's fantastic. And I, and I would say to our listeners, look, if you're going to try to do it your, on your own, you might have some linear growth and you might be proud of that success. But I would argue that if you take care of the people and you groom and foster them and do everything you can to, to get them to, to be effective as well, then you're going to have exponential growth. So um, I'm going to continue. One more question on chapter, excuse me, on the part about communication in chapter eight, he talks about engaging others and it's going to segue right into the chapter section three on trust. Chris on page 117 and engaging others, you say at some point to engage others, you simply need to step out of the pilot seat and trust them. So go back to your instructor pilot days, share that story with our listeners and take us from communication into trust. You know, it's very interesting as a, probably the most demanding uh, time was being an instructor pilot. When I came back from Vietnam, I was at Fort Walters, Texas, and I was an MOI, pro, MOI instructor. In other words, I instructed people on how to instruct people. Uh, but part of that before I did that was actually... By the way, for our listeners, that MOI stands for Methods of Instruction, so that's what he meant by he was instructing instructors. Sorry, right. Chris. Me- method, so. And so uh, when I... But the big challenge was that there was a very specified, the military training for pilots was very clear. You had a certain number of classroom hours and a certain number of flight hours. And after a certain number of flight hours, it was expected that the student pilot would be able to do three traffic patterns, go up and down, land and take off three times. And the decision that the the instructor pilot had to do was when was that individual capable of doing that without crashing, burning, and killing themselves. So the awesome moment came, the challenging moment came when you said, you know, I think this person can do it. And you were sitting in the left seat. The left seat was the instructor seat. The right seat was the pilot and command seat. And at one point, you told the student, okay, let's go ahead and land, touch down, land. And then you unbuckled and you got out of the airplane. And at that point, you had to trust your judgment. You had to say to yourself, I believe in me as the instructor, and I also believe in the student. A, I'm making the right decision at the right time because the person's life is in my hands. And second of all, the person who is trying to learn how to fly is doing a good enough job to go solo. It's a very challenging thing, but these kinds of moments happen throughout your career. They're not just necessarily within the military. I know plenty of times when I had to make decisions about sending an individual to go off and meet with a client by themselves for the very first time. It's no different. It's all a question about whether or not do you trust your own judgment and also at the same time do you trust the individual. A clear element of trust has to be there, and in many ways the return you get from that is extraordinary loyalty from the individual who you have trusted 
and has proven to be successful. Well, I'm going to take this opportunity to tell you a anecdotal story about me and my instructor pilot. Uh, when, so Chris was doing, he was sitting in the opposite seat like my instructor pilot, and and I was flying from one stage field to the next or from the, the base to the stage field. And this is when the instructor pilot would uh, do us the honor of rolling off the throttle and forcing us to do an auto rotation. And i got to tell you, the first time you ever do that, um, it's, a, it's a very... Um, it's a very intense experience, and um, you, you have to do something that's very counterintuitive. And uh, so I didn't do it well the first couple times, and finally I'm getting the hang of it. And this one day, he rolls off the throttle, and I'm finally feeling proud of myself because I did exactly what I was supposed to do. I lowered the collective, I dipped the nose, and I started – I kept the aircraft uh, in a, in a, uh, in a posture or attitude, if you will, that it was going to continue to fly all the way to the ground and I would have to do the, the, the most critical things at the end. And he yanks the controls away from me. And I'm like, well, why'd you do that? Is what I'm thinking to myself. And he, he looks over to me and says, didn't you see those wires? So Chris, since you were in that guy's seat before, and I'm sure you did something that to, something like that to somebody like me, um, what are you trying to teach somebody in that situation? Uh, or what can you share about that particular lesson, which I'll never forget? Yeah, I don't know. I got to tell you, I don't know if I'd uh, roll the throttle back and drop the collective if uh, in a ten in a time like that. If I knew that there were wires below me, I'm not so sure that I'd let that happen. But nonetheless, it's a test. Oh, he was he was high enough that he had the ability to recover. You guys never put you in a, yourselves in a situation where you couldn't recover. But yeah, anyway. I, I I don't know. But uh, nonetheless, I think it's a test. We all have to go through tests. You know, this is uh, parts of life. We need to test ourselves. We need to test other people. We need to see the, how they're going to react under certain circumstances and whether or not they can actually cut it because it's so important. The auto rotation is the way to get the airplane down when uh, the blades don't turn anymore or whether or not you, or rather when you lose your engine. So it's a very, very tough kind of situation, but you have to test yourself and you have to test others. But I'll tell you, as an instructor pilot, it's equally, equally challenging when you decide that you're going to roll the throttle back, drop the collective, and uh, see what happens because you have to be in a position to recover if it somehow doesn't go right. Right. And, and, you know, and that goes into one of the things that he talks about in a different part in his book about, um, I'm going to paraphrase here because I can't remember it exactly, but you essentially say, hey, look, when we get in a situation as an organization, um, we need to prepare for these different scenarios. And, and you use different words, of course, but talk us through when, I, I believe it. you talk about in chapter, I've got it here, chapter 11, overcoming threats to th thrust, and you talk about anticipating threats. And I wrote down a personal note, hey, you need to do rehearsals to anticipate these threats, and they could be happening with, whether it's you're developing one of your um, employees, or whether it's you're trying to get the organization to figure out how do we respond in this situation, are we going to respond in an ethical way? So just from your gut, Chris, what are your thoughts about that? Because that's part of what you're talking about in your, chap in your section on trust. You know, if we're talking about it from a business perspective, that's really the responsibility of the C-suite to think through what are the possible downsides, what is it that could happen, and if so, what, how are we going to respond and how we're going to get there and go through play acting. We used to do crisis training for individuals where we would train them what if, if something happened and went wrong. So if you take an, a, a current example, if you look at Boeing today and you look at the MAX uh, airplane, this, uh, any, any situation for any kind of company today that there are threats to their business, whether they're practical threats that have to do with something like Boeing, 
and the crashes or whether or not it has to do with software that doesn't work or market pressures that begin to change. There need to be scenarios that are driven by the most senior levels inside an organization to think about what might happen, how it would go wrong, and how they're going to behave because these things cannot be done on a dime. There needs to usually be a process and there needs to be a leadership chain and there needs to be a discipline that's applied to the way that you respond to a crisis. This is one of the most important things. Okay. Well, look, um, you know, I want to kind of go back to, to something on communication as well here in, in that section where you talk about being personal because you talk about a pretty interesting example of how a particular, in this story, you talk about a colleague whose client's company had announced a product recall late one afternoon. I'm going to read this to you so you can talk to the heart of it. And it was clear the next morning that the media would be running with a series of critical stories. So what did he do that demonstrated his personal commitment so Dramatically, without missing a beat, he was up almost all night on the internet to read the stories and send them to his client. And then he was at the local newsstand to get the first copies of the paper right off the truck. By seven o'clock in the morning, he had prepared both a report and an analysis of the media coverage so that his client could brief his superiors, decide on the next steps, and address the concerns that had been raised. So that particular story um, talks about your commitment to your clients and customers. Please talk about that. This may be our last question for today. So go ahead, please. I'll say two, two points about it. You know the old Mark Twain adage that says that the, uh, a lie has traveled around the, halfway around the world before the truth has put its shoes on. And uh, so first of all, you have to be ready in this digital age. You have to be ready. Things will happen in nanoseconds, not in 24-hour increments, six-hour increments, but in nanosections. But second of all, if you're really a client service person, you really need to think about what you have to do to provide the client with exactly what they need as soon as possible. And in this case, 7 o'clock in the morning is often late. 4 o'clock in the morning is better. And we all know that these things happen very, very early, and you need to be prepared. And you need to know exactly what to do as soon as the sun comes up, if not earlier. So there's no excuse for not doing that kind of thing. It's very, very important. Yeah, and you're in the public relations world. And and just briefly, can you tell us about what you mean by you have 12 hours? You were talking about that in another chapter. Yeah, well, the digital world has created, it used to be back in the olden days, so to speak, that the news cycle was at 12 or 24 hours. Right now, the news cycle with any, all sorts of digital communications, whether it happens to be apps that people use or the, or the way the news broadcasts work but, uh, or the cable works, that news happens on a rotating basis and every, every couple of minutes somebody's looking for a news story. So if you're involved in a crisis, you need to be able to act fast. And that doesn't mean that you can wait till the next 6 o'clock news broadcast. You need to be able to do it immediately. And that requires a completely different sense of response time and a completely different sense of urgency, Whenever, which means you have to be prepared, sort of like having a checklist. Chris, it's been fantastic having you on Veterans Day. I'm going to finish with, I'm going to read something to the uh, listeners. Essentially, his last chapter, he talks about reputation paving the way, obviously very important to him. A strong reputation built on character, communication, and trust is the foundation for lasting success. Your reputation is yours to forge. Communicate often and more often. Capture every every chance to engage others. Hear what they say. Listen to what will add value and give credit where credit is due. People will listen to you and look to you if you trust them and they trust you. Trust is the heart of reputation. Trust in others is giving them the opportunity to do what is right. 
trust that others have in you is what gives you the opportunity to lead and be successful. In short, always remember building a strong reputation, excuse me, is one of the most important jobs. Do it well time and time again. Again, Chris, thank you so much for, for being our guest today. Uh, for our listeners, next week, we're going to be listening to Ann Bear Thompson. She's the author of Do Good, Embracing Brand Citizenship to Fuel pur- Both Purpose and Profit. Again, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure having you. I look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. Be sure to join host Tom Crea for another edition next Monday morning at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And have a great week.